What's what's my podcast name? Uh, not bad, Christian. Uh, I don't remember. Pastor, something with pastors with no answers. Pastor, pastor with no answers. What do you think is one of your favorite guests I've ever had on the show? Uh, Derek Miner. Oh, for real? Uh huh. Over Uncle Jared. I mean, he's no. the show a lot. He did. Yeah. Uncle Jared. Okay. That's official. Uncle Jared. That's my podcast name. Um, pastors with no answers. Pastor. Pastor with no answers. What do you think is probably one of your favorite guests that I've ever had on the show? Uncle Jared. Oh, for real? That's pretty cool that you would think of Uncle Jared before propaganda, you know? Yeah. What's up, everybody? Uncle Jared, you're seen in high regard. You're you're the man. You are the man. And welcome to Pastor Metro Answers. This is Joey Spencer, the host. And glad to have you listeners back for another episode. Want to welcome some new patrons, Brock Bennett and Ashley Carroll. Friends of mine, we have some online community going on behind the scenes that I love being in with y'all. And I'm looking forward to more people knowing about all of that. Also want to welcome Matthew Will C. That's W-I-L-L-S-E-A. You are now part of an online community. Also, man, the Pastor With No Answers patron. So thank y'all. Just this month, you helped save a baby's life, baby Shamal. She was struggling with the severe dehydration and malnutrition. Grandma over there in that developing country threw in $25, and we basically just threw in the rest for her to get the proper treatment and care to send her home back to her family. Love doing this together with you guys. It means a whole lot. But our main giving tier called the Collection Plate comes with your own podcast feed of unreleased, unedited episodes that will eventually be on the main feed. But then you also get some very exclusive stuff for your listening ears only, such as a Pastor With No Answers devotion. It's a weekly devotion, Pastor With No Answers style, obviously. But... An assortment of things that I love offering you guys, and for the next month and a half, you can get this $8 tier for only $5 and lock yourself in, so go on over there, check things out, see if that's the right timing for you. If you don't contribute to this podcast, you contribute by listening, and you're very appreciated. Thank y'all so much. Hey, this episode is not for kids. You know, if I got to say that, if I got to come right on on here and say that, that's a big deal because ah, this podcast ain't kid friendly in general, but this one more so than others, lots of very open sexual talk in the vulgar category for many of you at the very least in the uncomfortable category for most of you. So listen at your own risk if you're going to have those kiddos in the car. Hey, before we go into this vulgar conversation (laughs) and then hear from Brian McLaren, I want you guys to hear from listeners of this show. It's always interesting when you got two people that hear the same show and have such crazy different feedback from one another. Well, this one happens to be in regards to the BC divorce episode. 
centering around my mental health crisis back in 2019. Came out two weeks ago. You can check that out. But thank you, listeners, for writing in and give us your thoughts. Love y'all very much. Thank you, Jed Payne, for reading these. Enjoy the whole show, my friends. God bless. Peace and have a nice one. Thank you for sharing your perspective regarding the BC divorce. I thought you were very clear in your intent and that it was not to disparage anyone. Your honesty, trust, and willingness to be vulnerable is much appreciated. I didn't participate much, but really benefited from the community for several years. We all lost something when it ended. I still miss it, but having some understanding of the circumstances brings a little closure for me. Thought it might be nice to know that your words were well received. I'm grateful for all that you do. I've got some thoughts on this. Mainly, it seems that whenever Pastor With No Answers hits a lull, business-wise, it's smart to hit your listeners with something juicy. I'll admit, I bit this time, even after telling myself that the last time Joey Svensson talked about his BC departure, that I would stop listening. I haven't listened all the way through yet, and I don't think I will. You seem to just go round and round with no real point but maybe the point is that this was therapeutic for you? I don't know. All I know is I'm hoping this will be the last you talk about BC, but I'm sure when you need more listeners, you'll pop another episode of your departure and repentance. My true hope is that you're healthy, but I don't know if that's the case, and I don't know if that's even for me to know. Hope all is well with you, Joey. That was a hilarious text, Ellen, because we're talking to Jed right now you and i talked to chip a lot and then in about an hour we're going to be talking to hane <laughs> this is some bad i mean you can't get shit. any southern names in yeah. that man hane jed i mean hane is a who's good named one. jed nowadays i i've complimented you on that name by the way especially you put that with your last name jed Payne. jed pain like you have to be badass like if you were a nerd in school that just didn't work out no it just, it just yeah and it, it was did, did, so Pain. I think you probably were a nerd in school. No, I was a class clown. Yeah, you, I was a class you probably clown. Were. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, because gotcha. I was deathly afraid of being made fun of, so I had to learn to be the uh, make fun of er. Gotcha. Y'all listen to this. So I, I want to have lots of conversations with my son about sex. Like I don't want to just <laughs> have the talk. Like I want it to be continual. So sometimes I'll just check in with them. And the other day I said, "Hey." Uh, you got any uh, you got any latest questions on sex? Because he's sixth grader, so you know how old is we've he? Had Wait, how the, old is that? Eleven. So he is know. eleven. Yep. Yep. So we've we've had the big talk. He knows how everything works. But I just thought this was so classic. I said, "Do you have any questions as of late?" He said, "No." Except what's masturbating? Oh, <laughs> oh no! Did I? I just thought it. I just thought it was great that his it for him it was like not really unless masturbation is a big deal because I want to know about that. Did I tell you that story about my youth group sex ed experience? Oh my gosh, I've got so some of those too, but this let's is, hear. yeah. Uh, so this could be a whole episode, you guys. Oh, I love it could it. so youth group. I guess I was about in sixth grade, and so. 
they scheduled it on the calendar. This one night, all the girls and the moms went to one room, and all the boys and the dads went to another room. And I guess they had brought in, I don't know, sex ed experts that were Christian or something, and they gave us the the church sex talk. I mean, this is a room full of like 60 people, the, the students and their dads, right? And... Yeah. He was saying something, blah, 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 kept bringing up masturbation. And famously, I just reached my hand up, and little 11-year-old Jed just goes, what? What's masturbation? And it just, like, erupted <laughs> in laughter. And, like, because before then, I, I'd only heard it called, like, jacking off or something. I didn't know they were right. ubiquitous terms. Right. Uh, but, yeah, my, right. my dad's face was just like, oh, dear God. Yeah, see, see, I I went through this phase where there were tons because my parents didn't like talking about this stuff. I was given a book like in the fifth grade, and Same. I always laugh. I always laugh about it because there's a picture of a man and woman in bed, and it looks like they're cuddling, and it says that he sticks his thing into <sighs> her, and it's comfortable. So I just always thought, oh, it's like warm sensation, and they just laying there, sort of thing. And so I didn't really get a whole lot from my parents, and so I would hear. And, and Ellen, you and I are, are tight, so I don't have to worry about this, but I would hear words like pussy and rubber and all this stuff. And I was like, I, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I don't get it. Like, I there's a guy said, I'm coming. And I was like, I don't Where are you coming from? Like, I don't, I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> So <laughs> we were at we were at a friend's house and in his front yard he took like a a tree branch and he picked up with the tree branch basically a used uh condom and he was basically saying this this was mine. And so after hanging out there a little bit we ride our little bicycles away and we're heading back home and my brother was like hey do you, do you know what that was? And my answer I said I had no reference point. I knew nothing. I had no idea what that thing was. I just absolutely clueless. Ellen, you kind of had a a similar upbringing, I think, as as me. And you were a little girl. Like, what did that look like? Were were girls dirty? Did they say things that you didn't know what the hell they were talking about? absolutely not. I mean... I guess, but I grew up with brothers. Like I was the youngest yeah. of all brothers. And so I, uh, I saw all the things, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was exposed. I also had like a kind of a shit situation because I was exposed to porn super young yeah, by yeah. some neighbor kids. And, um, I would just go over there all the time because I was so curious. I'm, I think I was about probably six or seven. Um, and I would go over there cause their parents were never there and they just had like VHSs full of the spice channel, you know, recorded. <laughs> and I remember the first porn I ever watched was bikini car wash two. I actually and... know that one, not two, but I've heard, <laughs> I know bikini car wash. Yeah. Don't know what that says about Jim. I don't go either. Ahead. I don't either. And I remember that was the first thing I ever saw. And I remember all the like confusing mystery feelings all over my body. And I was just sitting in the living room and nobody else was in there. And I became like hooked on this. Like, what is this? So I would come over all the time and give us an estimate age wise. What What's an estimate seven, of age? Six, okay. Seven years what? old. Wow. That's yeah. early. 
Wow. Yeah. And but what's weird is all my, like my brothers and the neighbor the neighbor boys, they weren't watching it. They were outside making like pipe bombs or whatever. Yeah. Because they were kind of like over it. But I just used to go over there all the time and watch porn. So I can't tell Gosh. you what like a normal like innocent well that non-porn childhood would look like and i i didn't really discover porn until like besides playboy until like i'd say like a little older like 13 14 maybe 12 but i remember and i was telling my therapist this i guess i'll tell the world this uh it it really so it coincides with like my first sexual experience so in porn, guys last for an hour and a half, and so it's like, right. okay, uh, so sexual satisfaction is directly correlated to length of time. And the first sexual experience I had was making out with a girl, and she laid on top of me, and things happened. Okay, right. and um, and let me guess, let me guess, it did not take an hour. Oh no, we're talking. I mean, literally, <laughs> like as soon as she laid on top of me, done. Done, done deal. It didn't take a minute. <laughs> didn't take a minute. And so that's actually what pushed me in the direction of addiction because I figured out that drugs could help me last longer. So wow. like it all, all my entire addiction route goes back to like childhood sexual trauma where I was, because it was combined with my anxiety and I was so afraid of getting made fun of. And that was the locker room talk back then was like, you know, how big you are or like how long, you know, how long you could last or whatever. And so I was terrified and like girls would gossip about other guys that, you know, th that was just the the type of ridicule that was going on back then. And I was so afraid of that and ashamed. And so, Gosh. yeah. Isn't that nuts? Like, yeah. And you had and your little brain had no idea that none of those other boys were lasting more than no. uh, three seconds either. <laughs> that that didn't even, that wasn't a concept that, that uh, well, and then the other side effect of the drugs was that it helped mask the guilt and shame of, of having sex. Like, I just did the Protestant loophole for the longest, like everything except penetration, and then when I was 16 and I finally lost my virginity, like, I called all my friends and bragged, and then after the last phone call, I just started sobbing and like begging God to forgive me because I thought I had just committed the most unforgivable sin on earth. Yeah. 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 Crazy. I, I thought then, I was going to get like cervical cancer or uterus cancer right. when I had sex for the first time. I thought, because I, I was old enough to know, well, God's not going to literally, like, kill me on the spot, but I've done this thing, so I've probably, like, tarnished. Oh, it's so fucked up. Isn't it? Isn't it, though? Ellen is, so, like, in a, in a dude's world, and I don't know too many dude's worlds in this regard, so, Jed, I mean, if this is completely outlandish and, and foreign to you, tell me, but... It seems like for me, when my parents, coming from someone whose parents didn't talk, I learned more about sex from my first time masturbating than anything. Absolutely anything. That was the most that I ever learned was right then and there. 
that's not that's not a part of the early stages of experimentation for girls typically is it ellen like i mean did you guys no did you guys I mean, think oh sex so i'll try that i'll try masturbating i i really don't think so i mean some girls are geared a little bit differently and they have like yeah. i don't know get some more blood flow down there or something check it out but for the most part it's we're not doing things like that at 11 yeah you know what i mean and i mean I mean, and also and we don't know about it. We're not right. taught about that because it's only men do that. Right. Do that. And I mean, talk about the, the, I mean, seriously, like I, it's, it's funny to think about now, like think about the craziest, I mean, it was the craziest revelation ever in my life. And I yeah. don't think there'll be anything that ever matches it because I had no reference yeah. point of anything. My, and so yeah. I literally, I was thinking about the dudes in school who, who did like the, the jacking off hand motions. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess that's what I do. And I literally was like doing that. And I was like, this is stupid. Like what, what in the world? But then for a split second, I like I was that like, you were doing that while you were thinking about the dudes at school. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> So for a split second, I was like, ooh, wait a second. Something just kind of felt a little good. Mm -hmm. And then that happened again. Then it happened again. Can you imagine a 12-year-old boy experiencing an orgasm and having no idea what that was? I think that is how it should be. Like, well, you you discovered unbelievable. I was like, I've got to do that lots. Mine was completely accidental where we were watching late night Cinemax and I was laying down on the floor with like a pillow under my head. And I think I just like adjusted in the friction. I was like, wait, what is this? What's going on here? And so like literally just fell into it. Nobody ever taught me how to do it. I think it was just, I probably from watching porn, I figured out what you're supposed to do. But at first it was just like, yeah, man. Yeah. Was never taught. Yeah. My, my, so my youth group experience, we separated the guys and the girls and I was at a very conservative church. So this was, this was shocking to us. Our youth pastor gave us a word scramble and he doesn't tell us what it's about or anything. And so I'm, you know, I'm one of the older guys in youth group and I'm like, so I, the first one I was like, bait your mate. I was like, what in the hell word is that? So, beat your meat. And I was like, beat your meat. And then we just lost it. We were like, oh my gosh. And then we realized that every single word scramble was a different nickname, like spanking your monkey, beat your meat, jacking off. And it what was, was just the like, purpose there is, of this? because the topic of discussion was masturbation. And we had a very creative youth pastor who wanted to kick oh, things off with the wow. word scramble. That seems wow. irresponsible. Just got right into it. Why? Yeah. That's creative. I, What's yeah, wrong with I don't that? know. It just seems weird. Like, te- like let me just. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. But listen but listen to this. So I was I was already in that in that mindset of if I do this, I'm gonna go to hell, but I can't stop doing it, so this sucks, I'm probably gonna end up going to hell. And I'll never forget around this same time when we were talking about sex and splitting up the groups by gender, we would have these monthly parent and student luncheons after Sunday where the youth pastor would talk to the parents and the students and he actually brought masturbation up and and basically, I mean, I think about it now, it seems a little progressive for our church, but he basically said that, you know, there's there's nothing in scripture that says this is a sin, it's the lust part that's a sin. 
And I turned to my dad and I remember, I mean, this is super uncomfortable for my dad. I was like, dad, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that this just wasn't a, a straight up sin. And I'll never forget. And this is probably the most open he's ever been. I'll never forget. He said something along the lines of, well, Joey, what, what do you think that I would do if something happened to your mom? And I, my whole mind, mind I mean, blown. I was just like, oh my freaking gosh. Like, here's my dad who we've never talked sex about. And he's telling me that if something happened to mom, he'd have to go to town. <laughs> and I'll never forget there was that a is- part of me. I'm so There's sorry a pro- that I don't, had to bring your mom into it. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know li- if I appreciate the verbiage. My dad would have to go to town, but you, you do himself. you on himself. You you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably wouldn't appreciate that either. No. But uh, y- like, y'all, I'm telling you, there was like, I, I, it was like I sniffed out this freedom. And I went home, and, and I, like, and I went to town. Anymore. Oh my gosh! I was like, <laughs> if there's a possibility room. that this is not a sin, and I remember in college, I would go through seasons where, and I mean, people used to tease me mercilessly. They knew I was a Christian, and I would talk about how when I am when I'm doing it, I am using mind, mind, mind power not to think of anything lustful. That like that is how that was my goal is born. to is to yeah. finish. And not think of anything sexually enticing. So, so are you, so are you like, baby? Don't say a word to me. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Driscoll once said, "If you can think about a field of wheat while you're doing it, then you're not sinning." And I've never been, I've never gotten that field of wheat. Lo- out of local my head. man arrested with, uh, <laughs> with for defiling loaves of bread at local supermarket. <laughs> Details at eleven. But it's it's so interesting now with how to view me being the father of two boys because I still have that knee-jerk reaction and some of that purity culture stuff in me. And at the same time, the last thing I want my boys to feel is shame yes. or guilt for having sexual arousal and pleasure and all of that. So all I've got now, and I mean, I've been figuring out the whole parenting thing in the middle of deconstruction. I'm just used to it now. And so the only thing that I've got right now, and is the only one I've been talking to about this stuff is, dude, please don't ever feel bad about being attractive, uh, attracted to girls. Please don't ever feel bad about being attracted to their, their body parts. It's natural. But the thing that I always want you to focus on is respect and don't ever let your mind go to a place where that's all they are for you. And that's, that's all I got, man. Like I, I don't even know. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, and this may get me canceled by the evangelicals, but I don't even know if I want to tell him never to look at a, at a, naked body like is that because i got the way i got told now these are these are someone's moms these are someone's sister these are someone's daughter and it's like okay awesome yeah so wait does that not work because that's how i think about it that's at at the time that just made me feel like shit because i wasn't gonna stop oh guilt i see right you know it was just it was it was like porn was found on the computer and that was the talk from my mother dad didn't even have the talk yeah. so it's just like ah stop now it's, it's just yeah. that could go the other way if you're really like in the mom that's what i'm saying it's just not a good it's just but you dude know. listen to how listen to how i was uh feared into this as an as an adult male i was told that if i don't get a hold of my 
lust and you know stay away from porn and all that when my daughters become women i will not know how to interact with them i will not know how to show affection and now as a father of daughters who are developing that's the biggest bunch of bullshit i think i've ever heard in my life now i'm sure there's some dads and some weird sort of crazy evil however you want to call it there's a struggle there but there's no as way in they're looking at their daughters lustfully because yes. they watch porn yeah it be, because I, oh, will, my, uh, I have I always say. wondered that like if you like you're cindy crawford's dad okay and you see her swimsuit model whatever when she's 19 what does that do it's your daughter okay man. so it is like, like my that daughters my for me my daughters are developing and the last thing i mean the last thing i ever think of is any sort of sexual attraction or anything that makes They're me feel better girls. joey because i've i've felt uncomfortable around my dad like in bathing suits and stuff yeah and uh because you know it's never something we would ever talk about but yeah. That makes me feel better because I feel dis- just like the thought of that is so repulsive to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, they love for me to tickle their back and massage their back and they don't ever want me to do it from the outside of the shirt. It's like, no, 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 please, please, you know, skin. And, and I'm, I know that's their back, but there is nothing there, nothing other than these are my little girls. I love them and I'm glad that they like me massaging their backs because it's easy for me to do and they enjoy it as they go to sleep. Yeah. And I, I'm not thinking anything else. So I feel like that was some very, very shitty advice given to and me. Just, and while we're on the subject, just because I, I have a little bit of like – some not trauma, but like some gross trauma y feelings. Mm-hmm. Just when when they get great boobs or if they've got a great ass, just don't 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 talk about it. Don't be oh like nice I'm rack, sorry honey. That that happened to you. Yeah, I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> that to you. is never, that just, is well not not that not that like vile sounding. Okay, but just good. Like, don't you you do not need to comment on your oh my daughter's body. Ever. I just, or if just you ever. do, you need to be egalitarian and be like, "Hey, Waylon, nice, nice dong." You're, <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you're you looking go. good there, son. Doing your father proud. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm making light of a serious thing. That, that no, 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 no. All right, Brian McLaren, Faith After Doubt. Uh, what? I mean. You're gonna hate this sort of comment because what do you what do you what do you do with it when someone puts you on the spot like this? Oh. But how do you deal with writing such a magical book that helps so many people out? <laughs> oh my gosh, this 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 book was just was incredible, and I'm I'm I rarely do follow ups to like we've already had you on to to talk about the book before I read it, but man, I'm so glad that I get the opportunity to ask some uh, follow-up questions. You had just finished talking in, in this book about that that infamous picture of, of Thomas uh, Merton and the yes. Dalai Lama, which is such an incredible picture. But So <clears throat> you're probably used to my... <laughs> shenanigans and and I because it's just kind of how I think and I know that a lot of people that I interact with talk these sorts of things with right when you sir start talking 
in a way where religions just are kind of in an equal playing field, you've lost a lot of people. Yes. For for me, I actually do see. I don't know if you've heard of. Have you heard of David Bentley Hart? Yes. I'm reading. I'm reading David Bentley Hart's. Yeah, because you guys were both on the uh, Hellbound uh, documentary, but I'm reading his book on that all shall be saved. Yeah. And I read this and I think, man, that's beautiful because I kind of see a Christocentric yeah. universal salvation. I actually even think of guys that I know that I wholeheartedly respect that are atheists and I could see them in, in the, in the life on the other side, God saying, Hey, you, you helped other people who were going through those same thoughts. Yes. Now, now you see that I'm true. Now you're okay. I love yeah. you. I've loved you all this time. I'm sorry yeah. that you had to go through that scary time, but you were faithful. Yes. You were faithful with that. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just I'm I'm curious because you are you're writing a book. Um, is it called Can I Still Be a Christian? Do I Stay Christian? Yeah. Do I Stay Christian? And do you consider yourself a, a, a Christian? And ha- and how? What is the how pivotal is yeah. is Jesus? How yeah. pivotal is the resurrection? And uh, are you sick of this sort of question? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, Joey. Not at all. Um, so before I answer that question, uh, I, I should just say that uh, I used to be one of those people that if I heard anybody talking about people of other religions in a positive light, I would be nervous and, you know. Yeah. Um, At the end of Faith After Doubt, I say that I'm sort of saying, you know, through doubt, I've lost a lot. Um, But some of the things I've lost are things I'm really better off without. And one of those things is what I call supremacy. The idea that, that that your religion is supreme. So let me say it this way. I, for me, Jesus is supreme. I, I love Jesus. I, I, I love Jesus more than ever. I am as dedicated to following Jesus now. I'm more dedicated than I've ever been. Yeah. Um, but what I am not dedicated to is the supremacy of the Christian religion. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm exploring a lot in this next book, Do I Stay Christian? I just think yeah. the, I, I'm going to say something a little bit blunt here, but I, I'm saying it for effect. Anybody who believes in the supremacy of the Christian religion doesn't know Christian history. Um, yeah. Because Ooh, our you gotta, religion, you gotta unpack that. Our, our religion is full of corruption. Our religion gotcha. is full of violence. Our religion is full of hate. And we see a lot of it now. I'll be honest. I mean, some of the most hateful people I know are Christians whose view of God helps them be more hateful. In fact, they're more hateful than they would be if they didn't have that view of God. And and what's even sadder is everybody else experiences them as hateful and they think of themselves as loving because that's what their religion has taught them to be and to do. So I, I love Jesus. I'm as committed to Jesus as ever, but I'm also deeply aware of the flaws in Christian history and the flaws in Christian theology. Um, and, and, if anybody finds that very offensive for me to say, I could say it this way. Let's say you're a charismatic and yeah. you look at Calvinists who don't believe in the gifts of the spirit and you think, yeah, they're Christians, but boy, they've got a bad belief system there. Or, yeah. you know, 
so or the vice versa, right? Um, so all Christians understand that other Christians don't have perfect beliefs. Right. Right. <laughs> so I right. just think we need to accept that there's so much in our in the broad swath of the Christian right. religion that is deep. So how would you how would you feel about this and and I I think I think you know me well enough. We've talked long enough to where none none of none of what you're saying of, offends me in the slightest. So hopefully these questions don't don't make yeah. it feel that way. How would you feel about me saying, "Hey, I'm right there with you, Brian." As far as Christianity not being the supreme religion, where I'm at in my journey, I do believe that Jesus is supreme, and I just so happen to believe that he is literally Jesus victor. Like yeah. there, there will be nothing left unredeemed because yeah. Jesus is the hero of the story. Like it would that in your mind, would that be problematic? Because that's, that's saying Jesus is, is more Supreme than anyone who's ever walked the face of the earth, which would mean, you know, the, the big starters of other religions and, and all of that. Yeah. So what I'd say, Joey, to be really frank, is it depends on what you mean when you say Jesus, because what ends up happening is people end up thinking, yeah, Jesus is going to force everybody to bow the knee and grovel yeah. before him, whether right. they love him or not, right? Uh, right. So, so when they say victor, they think of victor as somebody who trumps, let me use that word intentionally, <laughs> uh, defeats other people, humiliates them, grinds them into the dust so that they finally say, yeah. okay, okay, you you win, uncle, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but that's not what you mean when you say Jesus is supreme. But right. because of what I said about Christian history, we just have to, have to understand that there are millions of people around the world whose ancestors had Christians enter their lands and threaten them not only with hell, but also with slavery and torture and death. And that's when they hear right. someone say Jesus is supreme. Those are the memories that come to their mind. So here's right. the thing. If we believe that Jesus said to love your neighbor and your neighbor includes the outsider, the outlier, the outcast, the odd, the, right. you know, and even to love your enemy, that's if we're saying that's the one who's supreme. That means something very different than saying somebody who's going to torture people who don't bow the knee to him, right? Right. So, right. I cannot, I cannot ever unsee or unthink the veracity that that you displayed in this book of the Bible being about loving yes. over believing and yes. and faith express. I love the image that you made of Paul looking around to the people yes. around him and saying, faith expressing itself through love. Yeah, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? Faith, I mean, oh, it gave me chills. So I also understand my 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 Christian brothers and sisters who who aren't where I'm at and 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 my beliefs and thoughts, and they point to passages such as 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely, per preserve in them, or I'm sorry, persevere in them. And then obviously the the infamous Romans 10, 9 and 10. I mean, if you yeah. believe, if you, yeah. you know, if you confess, like what 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 do you do with those doctrinal? Because like I said, the 
it is just amazing now how like I I, I read the Bible so differently because yeah. you you cannot you cannot argue about what Paul and Jesus said are the most important things. Yeah. That's one thing you just can't argue. It's just right there. Uh, yeah. You want to know what Jesus thinks is the most important? It's loving God, loving yourself, loving others. You want to know what Paul thinks is most important? It's not. <laughs> it's not blurry, is it, Brian? <laughs> That's right. That's that's so right. Yeah. Um. You know. So let's take that First Timothy passage. I absolutely agree with that. It's the reason I changed my mind because I was watching to myself and my teaching, and I didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want my yeah. teaching to cause damage to people, and. When you study church history, and of course, everything, when you study church history, it depends on whose version you study, right? Right, right. When you try to get the broad view and not just look at the people, you you try to really get the biggest picture you can. Um, Yeah. you, You understand, oh, this teaching, the way it was taught by Christians led to this conclusion, led to this conclusion. And 13 million people were kidnapped from Africa and shipped across like sardines in their own right. excrement and made slaves. And they were, they were raped and, and used for breeding stock like animals to produce more slaves to fuel yeah. the American economy. That yeah. freaking crap happened. And it happened right. by people who went to church every Sunday and believed the creeds and prayed the sinner's prayer and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And so, and I don't want that to happen again. And the fact right. is, worse stuff could happen tomorrow. Yeah. Christians could do worse stuff tomorrow than we've ever done, unless yeah. that's why I totally agree with First Timothy. And um, and Romans ten nine and ten. Oh, I love that. Um, but everything depends on when you say whoever confesses with his mouth, believes in his heart, will be saved. What does saved mean? And for right. a lot of people, it means you won't go to hell; you'll go to heaven. People would be shocked when I tell them that the book of Romans never, ever talks about going to hell. The word hell is never mentioned. Now, words like judged and all the rest. But when you assume that judged means sent to hell, it's not in the text. Um, It's not there. I don't think that was in Paul's mind. In fact, the book of Romans is about something very different than I always was taught. I'm quite sure of this. The book of Romans, in fact, you find it in chapter 1. It's about exactly what we're talking about, Joey. It's about how can God accept both Jews and Gentiles? Yeah. We, we have all kinds of Bible verses that say, you got to be a circumcised Jew or you're not one of God's people. And now right. Paul comes along and says, no, God's willing to accept Gentiles. <laughs> right. That right. blows people's minds. That's what right. Romans is about. Right. What, what I really love about the posture that you have is is you, you know everybody uh, if just just read the daggone book but you you have different stages and you made very clear that the stages are somewhat arbitrary there's i think Richard Rohr has a different number of stages but there's just a different way that you can categorize them and yours is simplicity complexity perplexity and harmony and what i love is that you don't demonize any one of those stages you don't demonize any person that's in those stages and like i i know people who will always be in one of these stages probably for for good and for me to give myself permission to to still embrace that as 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 good and having a place i think 
What's interesting though, and I'll, I'll even quote you, you, you were, you were kind of dreaming here and you said, that's why I can't give up on the potential of a new generation of four stage faith communities to teach a new kind of spirituality to a new generation of people. So as you did not demonize other stages and people that are in those stages, would you also though say that the most ideal place to be would be to go through the complexity and the perplexity and define harmony? I mean, is that, is that just kind of inescapable that that's, that's the ideal place? Yeah. So for folks who haven't read the book yet, I, I, the way I talk about stages is like rings on a tree. Um, And so simplicity would be like the innermost ring. And then complexity doesn't throw out simplicity. It just builds on it into new territory. And each one builds on the others. Um, So what I would say is if the church was doing its job, it would, well, here's the way Paul said it. Um, He said, I struggle according to all of the power of Christ working within me so that I can present every person complete or mature in Christ. So Paul's struggle is to help people become mature. If the church was doing our job, we would help people become mature. I'm sad to say this, but there's a whole lot of people who's, who don't, they aren't doing this on purpose, but they're, they think that Christianity is only a phenomenon of simplicity. And so they do everything they can to keep people from growing out of simplicity. And in that way, they don't mean to, they have nothing but best intentions but they're helping people stay immature. Um, right. And if somebody wants to mature, keep growing, they, they're probably going to get kicked out of that church. Yeah. 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 And that's what's, that's what's so tough is when I was in stage one, I, I can so relate to those good intentions yes. of being fearful for people's souls. Yes. You know, it's like, I, I try to explain to, like my my wife, for instance, who has always been extremely passionate on behalf of the LGBTQ community, and when she was, yeah, you know, she she felt like she had to be in stage one because everybody around her was stage one, that her community was stage yes. one, and so she just had to, you know, somewhat fit into that. But it just it just never it never felt right. And, you know, she will be so taken back and, and for good reason when a parent responds to their son or daughter coming out in, in a, uh, uh, an, you know, angry or unaccepting. And I'm, I'm like, Priscilla, they literally just discovered that their child is going to hell. Like, that's how they see it. Is it a common thing for churches to literally seek? to control people and they're doing it on purpose because in my context it's always been about we can't we can't bend on stuff because people's souls are are just too precious yeah gosh joey i i I mean we almost have to be psychologists to figure that out because (laughs) because what people admit to themselves and what's going on underneath the surface often Often what's motivating us under the surface, we would never put into words to ourselves, much less to anybody else. But like, can I give you an example? Yeah. Um, When you just talk about a parent who find whose kid comes out as gay and the parent thinks their kid is going to hell. I'm sure there are a lot of parents like that, but I am also sure of this. There are a lot of parents 
who have never really thought about whether their kid is going to hell. What they're thinking yeah. about is if my kid comes out, my church will reject my kid. They might reject uh -huh. me. I better be against my kid or I'll be rejected by my church and my parents and my aunt Sadie and my uncle Bill. Um, right. In other words, I hate to say it, but this is human nature. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying right. that on an unconscious level, there's a whole lot of things going on, you know, and, right. and it's happening with pastors and it's happening with political leaders. Um, yeah. Look, I, I think, I, I think there are a lot of political leaders who have no idea what they think. They know what they need to say to keep power. And yeah. frankly, I think that kind of thing can happen to anybody. Yeah. 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 Almost like, I mean, a form of narcissism. It's weird. It's so weird. Yeah. It, yeah. It, maybe a form of addiction. Uh, it's yeah. like I'm addicted to power. I'm addicted to whatever. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'll, I'll do anything to fulfill my craving for whatever that is. Guys like you and, and father roar. I just, I want to be non-dualistically wired. Like you, I mean, I, I love the fact that I don't know if I've ever heard Richard Rohr say anything critical about another person or a group of people without giving the admission of yeah but like 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 it's just not that simple it's it's almost like he has his mind trained to never put people in a box and that's gosh that's that's where i want to live and it's really hard <laughs> yeah yeah this is where stage theory helps me it helps right. me to say that's just where the person is it's right. it's it's the way the world looks to them right now and yeah until they get to a different place where they have some, as Richard Rohr says, they go through enough pain or they experience a deep enough love that they're shaken out of that and grow into some new space. Yeah. Th that's how it's going to look to them. Yeah. But, but this well, is where, oh, I was just going to say this to me is where Jesus becomes so wonderful. You realize this is why he speaks in parables. He tells people stories that gets them to at least imagine something they've never right. imagined before. And, right. and he knows he can't just, he, 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 he can teach very plainly and clearly and simply, but to help people grow into another stage, he's going to have to not just tell them what to think. He's going to have to challenge them to think. And yeah. uh, that's what he does so well. Yeah. Yeah. So give us a glimpse of, of do, do you see, uh, and, and I'm sorry, it's, it's, can I still be a Christian? No, Is that what it's do, called? Do I stay Christian? Yeah. Do I stay Christian? Do you see this as kind of like a sequel? I do. Yeah. Very yeah. Much so. Yeah. Give us, uh, give us a glimpse. And are you, are you done with it? Like where, where's the process I, in I right now? I just sent my first draft into the editor last Wednesday. So uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, which is why I, I, I couldn't schedule this conversation until after I got it in. Right. But right. um, I, I'm so happy with how these two books uh, sort of the, the space they go. Um, yeah. Uh, but what I ended up doing is I, the book has three parts. Um, part one is called No. In other words, Do I Stay Christian? And I wrote 10 chapters on the very best reasons I can think of to not stay Christian and, mm -hmm. and reasons that I hear from people, you know, because I get emails and I talk to so many people. and. Um, uh, and 
Yeah. So 10 reasons people would say no. And they're, they're very valid reasons. Um, and then I, the next 10 chapters is called part two is called yes. And I say, look, I'm still a Christian. How can I stay a Christian? Well, especially knowing what I know from those first 10 chapters, here are 10 reasons I stay a Christian. Um, uh, and then at the end of part two, I say, but listen, some people cannot stay Christian. Like I think of a kid who grew up in the Catholic church and was molested by a priest mm -hmm. and kept the secret and went through all of that pain and then found out that the bishop, uh, that the bishop covered up that priest's abuse and had sent that priest from church to church. And, and now he's even more angry at the system. And then he hears the Catholic bishops are going to deprive Joe Biden of Eucharist or they want to some of them um, because, you know, he, Joe Biden's not pro abortion. He just doesn't believe that you should force everybody to live by Catholic teaching. That's right. You know, uh, so, uh, he hears about that and he just thinks, I don't want to be part of this Catholic religion. Right. Anymore. Right. And, and he's done. And, and the, yeah. the Southern Baptists who feel that way, there's Pentecostals who feel that way. And each has reasons. So, what I did in the third part, it's called How. And what I do there is I say, look, whether you're going to stay a Christian or not, you got to figure out how you're going to live. You don't want to yeah. become something worse. So, yeah. I, I the, that last part I think about what kind of human beings do we want to be? week we've got a double header coming at you guys i don't know what i'm gonna call this little mini series maybe like unstoppable women badass or women kicking ass taking names one or the other but we've got two cool guests that i'm interested and excited for you guys to hear from that's all coming next week peace out